Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thank you very much for joining me. Wonderful listener, as always, we are delighted to have you on with us listening to our latest podcast release this Thursday. Now, I'd like to introduce my guest in a second. It's a guest from SD Works and they've written a white paper. I'll do that in a second. But first, I always need somebody to bounce off when it comes to questioning and interrogating. No, we don't interrogate people on this podcast. But my fellow Lacer, who's going to join me in asking some questions and particularly of interest to him, given that he contributed towards this white paper we're about to talk about, it's Chris Kirby. How you doing, mate? I'm good, thank you, Chris. Pleased to be your bouncing board and uh, pleased to be here again. Bouncing board, but actually you are you are also, much like our guest, you are part of the talent because you were a contributor towards this white paper that we're going to talk about, weren't you? Absolutely, and I'm sure we'll be the topic of elephants uh, will come up at some point during this podcast. Yes, and now the listener, because I haven't actually told them what the podcast is, is thinking, what on earth have SD Works done writing about elephants? Of course, they haven't written about elephants. Let's bring our guest in. It's uh, Stephen Oosley, who's the head of portfolio at SD Works. Stephen, how are you doing? Uh, very well, thank you. Uh, thank you for referring to me as talent. I appreciate yes, that. You too are the talent. I'm merely the person that directs the questions towards you. Actually, Chris is going to do that as well, but I'm sure he'll jump in. We're going to talk about your white paper, SD Works' white paper, in a second. But before we do that, just for our listeners' benefit, can you give us a bit of background on yourself? And then maybe we'll do a little bit for those people who maybe don't know who SD Works are, if you can give yourself a little bit, give you guys a bit of a plug as well. So a little bit on you and then a little bit on SD Works, please. Okay, well, I'll try and keep my eclectic career history into a very short sentence or two. I've been in the HR payroll solution space probably for 25 years, maybe slightly over, uh, showing my age. My focus with SD Works is driving forward our sort of portfolio. And by that, it's the products, services, solutions, and our interactions with our customer base and the market. So what products and uh, solutions we take to market, in what territories, when, and what's, what problems are they trying to solve for the customer? SD Works as an organization is probably the largest European-based HR and payroll solution provider. An HR and payroll solution, I'm talking about the whole ecosystem of uh, services and products that deliver answers, if you like, to customer problems and customer challenges. So we have something that we typically call the five by four, which is the five sorts of key domains in terms of talent, core HR, payroll, sort of expenses, information, provision, et cetera. And within that, we have a series of capabilities. So software solutions, outsource solutions, and that sort of thing. Represented in nearly all European territories with our own organization. We do partner outside of that for multinational, international, but we have our own presence in nearly all territories, which makes us quite unique. It also gives us exposure, handily for this conversation, gives us exposure to an awful lot of HR professionals across Europe. And we use those to derive uh, an awful lot of our decision-making uh, ideas and thoughts and strategies sort of moving forward. 
Brilliant. So let's get into the uh, crux of today's pod, which is the white paper. So the white paper is called Getting the Foundations Right, Creating the Conditions for HR to Thrive. Now, what I want to do is break down into the different sections and maybe just touch on a few of the bits. Of course, we want people to download the white paper and read some of the detail in there themselves. So we won't go through absolutely everything today, not least because that will be a four hour podcast probably. And we keep our podcasts 30 minutes. But just to kick us off, can you give me a kind of one, two minute kind of top line view as to what was the inspiration behind the white paper? Why did SD Works decide, actually, we need to write something about this, you know, that getting that foundations right? So it really came out of sort of consistent feedback we were receiving, both qualitative and quantitative feedback through our direct engagements with our customers, but also we conduct very large annual surveys and pieces of research. We're quite unique in that as a provider. So it's rather academic in some ways, but we like to make data-driven decisions as most of this audience hopefully will like to make data-driven decisions. So every year we carry out a detailed piece of research, generally around 3,000 HR professionals across Europe, and we were seeing some consistent themes over the last few years. So we're identifying the trends, we're identifying the current focus, but there was these items that just kept on recurring time and time again, and the HR world didn't seem to escape from them. And so we really wanted to sort of nail down what was at the root of these sort of persistent themes, and there's persistent challenges actually, and there's some of the things that could be perceived as blockers to really really sort of delivering a massive contribution to the actual business drivers. And so we wanted to focus on those. And that was the reason that we decided to conduct this particular piece of paper. Thanks for that, Stephen. Um, I think, you know, it was it was good to see the, the white paper and I, I love the, the topic and I'm, I was pleased to con- contribute myself because I think the foundations as a former sort of operations professional myself, I appreciate how important those foundations are. And just putting out one of the sort of headline stats from this first paper, within the HR heroes journey section, you, you've called out that 72% of CHROs interviewed said their business model has changed over the last five years and that your CHRO is the fifth fastest growing position. Do you think we're now seeing the HR step out of the shadows and getting that seat at the top table and what what do you think that means for the future of chro in terms of how they operate yes so it's it's a very interesting question i think we've seen chros at the top table for quite a period of time now so it's not it's not a case that we're still striving to get there i think chros are there i think the focus within that environment has changed though because it's still been for for quite a while quite an inwards looking inwards type focus. It's been around process, it's been around control, it's been around compliance, etc. And I, I think we're seeing that change. And the focus is much more on the business strategies and the business objectives rather than the HR sort of administration and the surrounding sort of compliance piece. It's not around those objectives anymore. So yes, I think the focus is changing quite considerably. And the conversations we're now having with CHROs are around what their business is trying to achieve. And then behind that sits the HR strategies for how they're helping the business to achieve that. And that's a slightly different focus rather than being the policeman at the table, making sure everyone is staying in line and meeting their sort of local legislative requirements. It's now around how we're directly contributing. Yeah, it's good to hear that because I think it's something that I've sort of encountered and, and see regularly myself as well. I, I fully agree. And I think it may actually pose some of the answer to the next question that we had, which is, um, you've also called out operational efficiency is now the number one priority. And when we look back to 2020, it was fifth in the same survey. But I suppose part of the reason for that is, of course, without that solid foundation and bedrock, it's hard to look outwards, isn't it? So would you say that's the case? And, and why, why, why else do you think that may be? So some of that's going to be timing. So I'm sure your podcasts have covered this many times with guest speakers, but over the course of the last few years, we've been through a challenging time 
in terms of employment environment and also social environment for everyone. And the challenges of COVID, et cetera, meant that the focus became immediately around survival, some agility and survival. So it's been, I think the market has dictated that if you get past that piece, we can then start to move ahead. But I think one of the fallouts from that, which is very positive one, is that it's accelerated the process. So lots of things that were wrong in many businesses for a long period of time have now got perhaps the budget, the focus, and they were highlighted during that need to be uh, agile over that period. I'm going to kick us on just to the second section. This is an interesting one now, actually. This is the uh, elephant comment that Chris made earlier. So you've got in your second section, which is payroll, the elephant in the room. I thought this section was interesting. And the reason why I think it's interesting is not least because yesterday, Chris and I ran a payroll forum ourselves. We got a load of senior payroll professionals together to talk about some of the challenges that they're facing. And one of the things that they picked up, we had a big debate around HR systems versus payroll systems. Can you get one whole system that exists? And is there often the case in some businesses where people almost look at the payroll side of it because it's the people, or sorry, the HR side of it because it's the people function and we want to make sure that that's all great in terms of have we got a system that works with the employee experience and performance management and all bits like that. And sometimes, I don't want to put this into the mouths of payroll people listening everywhere, but sometimes the view is that perhaps the payroll function is slightly overlooked in favour of the HR system. So what we talked about yesterday, which I thought was interesting, was does a system exist that can do both in equal measure? And we didn't really get to the answer about that. But in this section, it does specifically say, you know, one thing that's often overlooked when it comes to updating systems is processing payroll. So could you just give us your perspective? Just talk a little bit about what you guys talk about in this section. There's an interesting stat in there, which we can talk about in a second, which was the Middlesex Uni report. Let's start with that kind of payroll being overlooked. Okay, so I think payroll has traditionally been one of those things that you have to get right. If it's right, it receives no focus. It's seen as an operational transactional activity. And there's the contribution is you pay people on time the right amount of money. Job done. Where in reality, we know it's an awful, more, an awful lot more complex than that. You're dealing with legislative landscape, often a multi-territory legislative landscape, which increases the complexity three, fourfold at least. And it's often owned, in fact, we find by a separate domain, a separate structure within the organisation. Often it sits within the finance function, whereas not always, So, but sometimes it sits within the finance function and it's seen as processing transaction. The value add there to the business in terms of contribution to business strategy, et cetera, is perceived as being limited or has been perceived as being limited. Yet the past few years show us that without the ability to adapt, be agile, change processes, progress really quickly, then the businesses would have been in a really difficult situation. And I think that the payroll function are very much the heroes of the last few years in terms of the ability for businesses to deliver their employee needs. So I don't know if that fully answers your question. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I want to get Chris involved in this debate as well, actually, because you obviously Chris wrote a piece called The Elephant in the Room as well. So it's quite interesting to get your perspective on it and also maybe expand if you want, if you've got any additional bits that you want to expand on from some of the chats that we had yesterday. Because again, I think what happened yesterday, it's the conversations that payroll people are having relate specifically to what you guys are talking about in this report. You know, it's really on point from what we've heard, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And the piece I wrote last year, I think, was complexity, the elephant in the room. So it does fit very nicely with the commentary Stephen just gave. And also, you know, like you said, 
Sacred, the, com- the conversations we were having yesterday at our, at our event. I think payroll has been seen, as Stephen rightly says, as a very transactional bunch of inputs. You calculate it and it's a bunch of outputs and you know money ends up in people's bank accounts. And fundamentally, that always has to be there, right? But the reality is payroll is much more. And I think this also edges us into that conversation that you started with, Chris, around does one system really exist? And I think the reality is in most places for different commercial reasons, whether it's their landscape or whatever, it's difficult even if the solution itself exists to make it commercially viable to actually use that system. So what you end up with is quite often a you know a HCM tool, for example, and then a payroll provider. Now, when we look at that, part of the reason anyway that I wrote the blog last year around complexity is it is the elephant in the room in those circumstances because if payroll is just very transactional and is very basic and just using standard information, those HCM tools are fine. But the reality is when you're looking for very specific and granular payroll data and and enough information to calculate payroll accurately, it quite often can't be held in those systems and needs to be held in a third place. So it's very easy to oversimplify payroll and, you know, almost set yourself up for failure um, in in some respects. And I think that just echoes what Stephen was saying around the difference between what payroll actually is and what it's perceived to be in that broader landscape. I think we're also seeing it playing a part in people's strategies. So there's a big driver around financial well-being and it's the payroll function that's facilitating that happening. Now, it may be a strategy that's born out of the people strategy for the business and there's certain amounts of it that you can actually activate from your HR solution. But the reality in terms of making that a seamless end-to-end process for the employee that's effective and efficient is actually driven out of payroll. Then you take in your comment about sort of HR solutions, handling that, and then sometimes being separate, sometimes being wrapped into the same thing. You can have an ERP type HR solution that covers multiple territories multiple part types of organization. It's quite often linked into your financial systems, possibly your stock ordering systems and other parts of your business. However, you've got local legislative requirements in each territory that you're operating in. Each of them have their own tax laws, have their, their own complex sets of legislation, which change annually. So you tend to need to have local payroll engines and those local payroll engines, they do the same thing, which is take some inputs, process those, calculate a payroll, pay it out to a bank account so that the person gets paid. However, along the way, there's an awful lot of differences and they need to be able to handle those. So a lot of the big ERP type HR solutions aren't capable of handling those local domestic requirements. So then you get in the need to have separate systems in place. It is possible to have a payroll and HR solution that is joined up together and very, very efficient when it works. But as soon as you introduce that added layer of complexity, then it becomes more difficult. Yeah, and this is interesting. And I guess the stat that I was going to mention kind of links into this, doesn't it? Because it's the piece in the report I thought was interesting, which was a Middlesex Uni report saying that of £1.5 billion of holiday pay and £1.2 billion of wages are unpaid each year. And in the uh, SDOX paper, it says 40% of HR professionals say they find it difficult to provide accurate data. It's the data question, isn't it? It's the complexities that make it more difficult to be able to accurately get that data. And that's, I guess, from your perspective, that's one of the key reasons why we're getting or your report gets 40% of HR professionals saying we're finding it hard to find this information. And this is one of our white paper themes that consistently came out, which was data provision and still is data provision in many organisations. So what we're seeing is payroll handles data in a different way to HR. They use it for different purposes. So quite often it's held and it's structured in a slightly different way. Now, if you really want to provide accurate data to your business, you need to be able to combine that payroll data, that financial information with the employee information that you've got in the rest of your in the rest of your sort of information systems. Pulling that together and using it consistently and agreeing which is the version of the truth that your business is going to rely on is absolutely key. So even if they are separate solutions because they need to be for the reasons Chris said, then 
you do need to be able to pull that information together. And then you have need to have enough knowledge and expertise to be able to interpret that appropriately. So we still see many, many HR professionals bringing together that data because they've now got the technical means, but they're still struggling to interpret it because it fundamentally is structured in a slightly different way. And that's where I think businesses can receive a real advantage from consulting with specialist organisations to help them with that. Absolutely. Perhaps another layer to that. This is all music to my ears, Stephen, to be honest. It's, it's good to have a friend in this topic um, as much as that makes me sound like a, a, an utter geek, <laughs> I understand. But the following section is around taking actions. And actually, it links very nicely into that, because, of course, one of the first things you talk about in there is the complexity of government compliance and the involving rules around that, particularly over the last couple of years, of course. Um, and that, of course, is just another layer of this complexity, isn't it? So can you maybe touch on what you speak about in that section? Yeah, so obviously we've already talked a little about the sort of whole compliance landscape and the sort of variations in that. I think that's quite obvious. I think that's quite straightforward. Then we've got the second point, which we made in answer to the last question, which is around the use of the data. So you're holding it in a different way and holding uh, and managing it in a, in a slightly different way. Then you've got the collection of it. The collection of it comes from different sources within the business. It's not that common to have every member of your employee organization accessing your payroll system, apart from to get to their payslips, whereas your HR organization is more likely to be using employee self-service, et cetera, and the collection of the data is a source from the individual. So all of that brings together different sources of information with different levels of validation attached to it. And it's quite challenging. Quite simply, it's really quite challenging. And we're still seeing on each year's survey a consistent theme of that that organisations are struggling to address. Now, I don't want to wave a SDWorks flag here, but it's something that as an organisation we've recognised and we're taking fairly significant steps to try and help organisations address that. And that's around, can you bring the data together in a way that can be consumed by your business intelligence functions within your business. So can you make it consumable? Because it turns it then from, it's a very old phrase, but it turns it from being data to information. So, and I think that's part of the challenge that we're seeing around that. Again, I'm not quite sure that I've fully answered the question. I could probably wax lyrical about this for a long, a long time. No, that's fine. And, and it is, it, it's a it's a terribly complex landscape, isn't it? I mean, we use the word complexity so many times and there are so many layers of this and really just emphasizes that point around payroll is, I, I mean, I'm one to, put percentages on stuff but payroll in the past maybe has been fairly transactional and more so than it is now but i'd say it's paling into the to background now but certainly with systems and things that automate that side of things so it, really what we find ourselves and providers and, and professionals dealing with is that complexity isn't it and as you say that's potentially manual it's using different things different sources and having to do a lot of different things with it i've touched on there again some of the changing role of payroll and, and it brings us again nicely onto one of the points in that taking action section and this is something that i'm really passionate about talking about there was a couple of points around payroll professionals not shouting from the rooftops about how much they've achieved and how much they were able to shift the way they work over that over the last couple of years and there was also a piece around, around businesses not looking far enough ahead in preparing um, itself for how how it will change do you think payroll as a profession need to get better at working on its perception and brand and is payroll as a function also guilty of not looking too far ahead Yes, yes, and yes, I think is the short answer, but that doesn't lend itself very well to a podcast. So I think absolutely payroll by its nature and perhaps a lot of the people within it at an operational level are very, very passionate about what they do. The amount of times we see payroll functions willing to work over the course of evenings, weekends, whatever, just to get the job done and make sure it's right and on time. There's a real diligence and pride within the function and a real sense of responsibility, but that tends to happen quite silently. So I, I think that doesn't give you exposure 
doing a job well doesn't necessarily give you the exposure or the recognition within a business. Your outputs do, however. So what we're seeing is a very significant increase in demand for payroll analytics. So that whole sort of what meaning is there in the data that we've got there? How can I look at trend and prediction? And we're seeing some seeing some shift in that direction. I don't think it's really hit maturity yet. I think it's still really, really quite infant. But you become an awful lot more visible when you're pushing out meaningful data to your business leaders that they can make organizational decisions on and investment choices on. So I think payroll has a great source of data, which is right. We know it's right because it pays accurately every single month. So I think if you can use that data to help the business make appropriate decisions. And then you've got the legislative landscape that we talked about, which is we sort of know what's coming on an annual basis in in advance, but there are trends beyond that. So how do I look further than the next budget release that states from the Chancellor, here's the things that were changing. The latest HMRC release saying these things are coming in. And I think that's where the sort of industry experts and those analysts that can start to point to trend predictions within the industry, which then can be adopted. And at least you can start to make some internal plans and internal internal decisions around for, from payroll function. I think HR has gotten an awful lot better at that over the last five, yeah. 10 years. And I think we've all seen that. But I think the payroll function can also contribute very significantly. That's really interesting that you say that because that's a conversation that I'm hearing a lot amongst HR people. It's how do we get better at evidencing the decisions that we're making by leveraging the people data that we've got? We hear a lot of that at LACE. So from a HR point of view, and this is what we talk about with HR on the offensive and things like that, is how do you champion yourself a bit more? so that you can have a better voice? And how do you demonstrate this? I mean, I've spoken to a few people. I've spoken to Emilianis, who often comes onto the podcast. And we talk about how, as Mar- I'm a marketing person, like it's naturally built in within us to try and demonstrate the value, the ROI that you are delivering by, look, I'm spending this amount of money and this is the output and this is the ROI. This is what we're getting back from it. And so we talked about like do... HR people need to learn from marketing or salespeople in in shouting themselves out. So I find it really interesting that you're saying, actually, the payroll people need to do the same. So payroll people and HR people as a collective need to do more to be shouting about that. But, and I'm happy for you guys to both disagree with me here because it's just a speculation. I'm going to get Chris, Chris wants to talk about this as well. I would have assumed that for payroll people to evidence their decisions and their based on the data they've got is easier than HR people evidencing the data that they've got because of the very nature of the way in which payroll people are built, but then also the information that you have access to naturally as payroll people. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Chris. And then Steve, I guess. No, it, I said at the beginning of this, this is something I'm very passionate about. And I think a lot a lot of it comes back to reactivity versus proactivity. And I think but payroll certainly, and some, some of that is back to the reasons that Stephen outlined earlier around the changing dynamic around payroll from transactional to more outwardly facing. But I think, Chris, your point around data, I think it's not about it being easier for payroll to justify it. It's about actually recognising that you have the ability to do that. And you have all the tools you need to do that and actually that you can play that role. And I think even as late as the pandemic, for example, I think it's fair to say that during the pandemic, businesses realised that they could rely on payroll for a lot of information they needed to navigate the changing dynamic of their businesses during that period. I think that, you know, that's a given. 
given, but it did take the business in most cases to request that for it to be brought together and provided. It wasn't necessarily something that payroll saw as their role day to day up to that point. I think the changing dynamic is maybe as a part of that, maybe as a part of the last few years, but certainly it was slowly evolving anyway. But I think payroll was starting to recognize the role that they can play and businesses are recognizing that as well, basically, and, and starting to lean on payroll differently. But for payroll people and payroll as a function, I think underlining all of that is the difference between traditional transactional reactivity to actually how can we support employees as part of their well-being, if you like, part of their package, and how can we proactively support our businesses? I would absolutely agree. I think that's a really common theme that we're observing. I also think there's some opportunity that we've seen and also some sort of employment cultural differences. So across the general employment landscape, we've seen a re-evaluation of what's my worth? I want to work in a role that's making a direct contribution. I want to feel recognized for that contribution. And why am I here? And that leads on to a whole war for talent and all of those sort of changing things that we've seen. Payroll people aren't isolated from that. We've seen a massive shift in payroll people that have been with organizations for a long period of time, shifting employers for those kind of reasons. As in, I don't want to sit in a sit in a darkened room calculating payroll and then chucking something out at the end of the month and previously it would have been an environment where it was responsive and reactionary as in the boards asked me for a report i'll go and produce the report rather than i've got the data it's really valuable there's certain insights you can draw from that can help you make decisions so i'm taking the initiative to push that information out to the business rather than wait for it to be pulled i also think there's another great opportunity for the payroll function and it's often a challenging time for them but it's the biggest opportunity and that is a lot of businesses are choosing to change their solutions from one provider to a different provider possibly a more sophisticated solution that gives them some additional tools so that in itself is an advantage but the fact that you're going through a large investment that the board is underwriting with a significant capex attached to it gives you the opportunity to prove the return on investment. And part of that return on investment is going to be you paid people accurately before. They expect you to continue to pay people accurately with the new solution. So what are the advantages? Well, the advantages are largely around your outputs and the information that you can push out to the business. And that's why when I present to various groups, as I've done over the course of the last six months, one of the key drivers around that is information provision and analytics and reporting should be one of your buying objectives and some of your one of your implementation objectives in terms of the functionality that you require from a new service provider or a new solution. It should not should not be the byproduct that then falls out the back of it. It should be actually one of the key criteria for your decision making. So yeah, completely agree. And, and I think that return on investment is an interesting one, isn't it? And it it, it is a much broader picture. And, and as you say, you can measure return on investment better when we start talking about stuff like this. But I think it, what one of the common things that is probably recognised more now, and maybe that's a result of the last few years as well, is that internal side, operational landscape, if you like, and actually the role of your people within your payroll operating model. So it's not about, you know, actually, if we move this service here, we can save all of this cost. It's about actually, if we move this transactional and reporting activity away from taking four days a month for these four people, those four people have four days a month to actually be on top of that data, have the space to think about how can we support the business? And and it's just, I guess, more healthier, organic sort of role that payroll are playing. and a more enjoyable role for payroll people. And that's an absolutely perfect example of getting the foundations right. And it's one of the key themes that comes out time and time again in this, our surveys and our data. 
Really interesting. And do you know what? Very good sort of way to wrap up actually today. So Stephen, thank you very, very much for coming on and just sharing some of your thoughts. There's obviously lots of information in the report. We will put a link to the uh, section where you can download the report. There's a really interesting checklist that's at the end of the report of some actions that you can start getting involved with, some of which we've kind of touched on today. So I was going to sort of ask you to just go over them, but actually let's get people to uh, to look themselves. What I would just say as we wrap up though, just as a final sort of thought from you, Stephen, if there's only one thing that somebody could take away from this report or any advice that you'd give, what would be that? If you're only going to do one thing, do this. Plan your infrastructure. Draw it out. Draw out the interactions and physically draw out the interactions that your payroll solution and your payroll function is having with different parts of the business because they are your stakeholders and you can deliver value across multiple parts of your organization. If you do that, it will then highlight what your operational needs are for each of those, whether it's analytics and reporting in that area, whether it's an extension to service in another part of the business. I think if you can plan out how you want to interact with the business, it will also allow you to make better decisions as to how you take your part of the organization forward. That's absolutely brilliant. Stephen, once again, thank you very much for coming on and joining us today. Thank you very much. It's been really enjoyable. Yeah, it's been great having you on and we'll certainly get you on again in future. And Chris, as always, thanks for joining me, Mr. Payroll himself at Lace Partners. Absolute pleasure as always, Chris. And thank you, Stephen. Yeah, no, thank you, Chris. It's been a good discussion. It's been a great discussion. You can obviously get this podcast through wherever you get your podcasts. If you go to Apple Podcasts, you can find us. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud and on the Lace Partners website as well, lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. If you are a regular listener to the podcast, you're probably getting sick of me saying that, but we do pick up new people uh, every once in a while. And sometimes people prefer to listen to it through different channels. So I do like to explain to everybody that we are everywhere on this HR on the Offensive podcast. Thank you, as always, to my guests. Thank you very much for joining joining me lovely listener and we will see you next time on the hr on the offensive podcast bye bye